Good evening and welcome to Salt and Light. I'm Hunter Combs and with me in the studio is Peter Hammond. Good to have you here tonight, Peter. Thank you, Hunter. So tonight we're going to be talking about women's liberation, the reality. Uh, the 9th of August is Women's Day, and so we thought this is a really important subject to discuss how how uh, the Bible deals with the treatment of women, how we as Christians ought to view the treatment of women. So Peter, if you would just begin by telling us a bit of what the problem is with the mistreatment of women that we see throughout the world today and our cultures and societies, could you just kind of kick us off with that? Yes, I think some people think, oh, you know, uh, women's liberation is only a thing for the past. You don't really need it today. But as a mission, and over the last 38 years, I've ministered in 38 countries. Mm. And uh, you only have to look in the Middle East to see that there's places where women are publicly stripped and flogged, like in Sudan, for failing to wear an abaya, covers head, face, entire body. Uh, in Afghanistan, women have been forbidden to go to school or work outside the home or even mm. to walk without covering the whole face and head uh, under these kind of uh, tents. And mm. women have been arrested and jailed in Iran for wearing lipstick. And in Saudi Arabia, it has been illegal for women to drive motor vehicles for uh, most uh, for the whole of the 20th century. And I think wow. they might be starting to introduce possibility now. Mm. So uh, just that alone. And then you think of polygamy. Uh, polygamy is widely practiced in non-Christian religions. In fact, Christianity introduced monogamy, mm. and uh, because even Judaism had polygamy. Yeah. But Christianity has always rejected polygamy because it mm. inhibits, it actually exterminates exclusive diversity love because love between a man and a woman must be exclusive. Otherwise, mm. it's degraded in essence to mere physical lust. And I don't think there's any woman who loves her husband and what to be fully loved in return who can tolerate another wife. Mm. Although we know many are forced to, but yeah. I don't think they can be happy about it yeah. <laughs> because monogamy gives recognition mm. and status and value to a woman. Mm. And to have a situation of polygamy degrades women. And uh, it's, mm. it's not a good environment to raise children in a stable, loving home if you've got multiple wives with one one dad and multiple mothers, it's, mm. uh, you can imagine. And yet there are religions in the world where that's reality. Mm. Yeah, and there, there are people I've spoken to, I've been sharing the gospel with, and they, they asked what I thought the problem was or what the solution was to things like um, prostitution in our countries. And this guy told me he thought the real solution was polygamous marriages. If we had more polygamous marriages, there'd be fewer women getting into prostitution and being destitute. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a reality for people today that... The okay, polygamy but is one a, just needs to give them a reality check. In yeah. those countries where polygamy is legal, mm. is there no prostitution? Exactly. No, there's yeah. more. <laughs> uh, I mean, you just have to go to Thailand. I think that's like the epicenter mm. of the prostitution industry. Yeah. They've got polygamy there. Exactly. Yeah, so it doesn't actually bring the good, well-treatment of women. It actually encourages the mistreatment of women. And you look in Scripture, the Old Testament, people will use the Old Testament to justify it, but it's clear that that's... Every time there is a polygamous marriage, you see the effects of jealousy, you see families falling apart, uh, you see nations falling apart. So it's clearly just by the example in Scripture, it's not a good thing. Well, so, uh, King David, who was generally a good man, but because mm -hmm. of his polygamous marriages and children, the whole country ended up in civil war mm -hmm. as a direct result of clashes between the children of different wives mm -hmm. uh, and Absalom and so on. But mm -hmm. uh, enough said that... Yeah. Uh, 
just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's recommended. Mm. So maybe you could give us a little insight into what the background was of the Roman Empire at the time uh, when the gospel came to uh, the Roman world and sort of what was what was taking place, maybe what were some of the mistreatments of women well, and uh, during is, that time. This is important because I think very few people appreciate how promiscuous and depraved the cultures were before the advent of Christianity. And even British historian Edward Gibbon, who's no friend of Christianity, but in a secular book, History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he says that marital faithfulness in the Roman Empire was virtually unknown. And not only were adultery and fornication common, but obscene sexual practices were prevalent, mm. and the most depraved, perverse, obscene mm. sexual acts were shamelessly illustrated on household items like lamps, bowls, cups, vases, in the floors and the walls. We know that because of Pompeii, for example, that was mm. covered uh, with a volcanic eruption. It's preserved uh, exactly as it was in the first century, and like, wow, mm. that, that is so uh, perverse. And there was widespread nudity, the games, sports, mm. uh, the public baths. Uh, they were very sadistic, masochistic. Um, there was a lot of group orgies and mm. uh, every single one of the emperors uh, from Nero through Tiberius, uh, they were all involved in uh, hideous um, sexual perversions and mm. Commodus. Well, if anyone's seen gladiator they think they know something about commodus hmm. but what the film doesn't let you know is he had a harem of 300 concubines and 300 young boys hmm. whom he sexually abused in his transsexual appetites and homosexuality pedophilia and was absolutely normal in roman greece and hmm. so um tiberius nero galba hadrian commodus they all engaged in what can only be called as child molestation hmm. so uh, pretty decadent. I think someone like Jeffrey Epstein would have fitted in just fine there. Hmm. Yeah, so this isn't just a modern problem we have with the whole sexual revolution, everything happening today. This is something that has historical roots even in the first century. And, yes, so people who today say, we need progress. Mm. Well, in fact, the new novel and progressive is Christianity, monogamy, virginity, purity, faithfulness, that, that's new and novel because mm. what's been normal through all of history, the pre-Christian paganism is the reality. So when people are saying we need uh, for being enlightened, let's go into pornography, nudity, mm. perversion, no, that's not new. That's actually yeah. really old. Mm. Um, that's what the gospel opposed and, and supplanted and replaced. Mm. So what people are actually advocating today in the name of progress is in many cases regression to pre-Christian paganism. Mm. Yeah, and this is actually, this is kind of what my, uh, Paul has in mind when he writes Romans 1, and he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And he talks specifically about homosexuality. He's probably talking about those pagan emperors who are abusing and molesting children. So Virtu Virtually all of them. So he, he was quite bold to call out, essentially calling out the emperor in his letter uh, to the Rome. Nero at that stage was doing that mm. very thing, yes. Mm. So what does what is what are some scriptures that talk about... Uh, the issue and sort of the solution uh, to this problem. Yeah, I remember one of the um, first books I read as a new Christian was Revolution of Love, mm. uh, written by George Verve of Operation Mobilization. And hmm. uh, I hadn't realized how Christianity was such a revolutionary concept because uh, you can just imagine in this very immoral, polytheistic, polygamous, idolatrous environment of Rome and Greece, which was very, I mean, that was normality. In comes Christianity with a very radical, revolutionary, offensive message. 
You shall not commit adultery. Hmm. Marriage should be honored by all. The marriage bed kept pure. God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The husband should fulfill his marital duty towards his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. Hmm. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Now, these are all quotes straight from the Bible. Yeah. And so uh, marital faithfulness was actually a Christian innovation. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it. And when Paul, Paul's talking about this, he's, he's really revolutionizing the way the culture views themselves, the way men treat women. He says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, in a society where women would have been seen as not having really any say or any voice, love your wives in the same way Christ loved the church. Be willing to die for your wife. I mean, that's pretty pretty radical. Um, so maybe can you speak a little bit about uh, reforming our marriage, how Christianity really impacts marriage and the way society sort of had perverted it and now what the solution is to actually have a biblical, biblically grounded marriage. This is one of the most revolutionary of all because as goes the marriage, so goes the family. As goes the family, so goes the whole of society. So the mm. family is a basic building block of society. And by reforming marriage, uh, Christianity actually transformed the whole of civilization mm. because it elevated morality by opposing adultery, and by the way, in the old world, adultery was only something that a man could commit against a married uh, man's wife. Mm. So uh, if the man was single, it wasn't considered a crime. If, if the woman was single, that wasn't a problem. Uh, if the woman committed adultery, that would be a problem. Mm. Uh, if the man committed adultery, not a problem, mm. unless it was with another man's wife, mm. then that could be a property crime. So you could see the value of the woman was not there. Mm. It was just from the perspective of a man, that's mm. how the laws were in, in Rome and Greece. So by opposing fornication and homosexuality and child molestation and bestiality and other sexual de decadence, Christianity made a contribution to civilization that was unprecedented. And uh, to actually make it possible for a woman to divorce an adulterous husband, that was unheard of in ancient world. This is a uniquely Christian um, a priority that came in. And for Christianity, equalized the crime of adultery that a man could commit adultery and a woman could be hmm. uh, sinned against and that yeah. she had rights. And this was really shocking. And prior to Christianity, marriage ceremonies were not dignified. They were, in fact, obscene, mockery, open displays of extreme decadence was part and parcel of Roman weddings. Hmm. But from the fourth century, Christianity had brought such a revolution in the view of society towards marriage. There was dignity. There was beauty. Uh, mm. solemn, so, a solemn um, ceremony. And so weddings had never before been treated with such respect. And so even uh, uh, someone like Edward uh, Westermark in The History of Marriage, uh, he documents that actually uh, the idea that, that marriage is a sacrament, a sacred institution, uh, is actually a totally Christian innovation. So the whole idea mm. of marriage the way we understand today is Christian. Yes, there were marriages before Christianity, hmm. but they weren't uh, in a solemn, dignified, and reverent idea of a, an ordinance hmm. from the Creator. So hmm. Christianity transformed the home dramatically hmm. by that. Yeah. What would, you, what would you say to someone just on that same topic today who says, well, Christianity brought a lot of abuses of women, like men 
are set as the head of the household and therefore they're put in a position to rule over and sort of have an abusive leadership over their wives. What would you, what would you say to someone like that? Obviously what we're talking about brought a lot of freedom uh, in that day and age, but what would you say to someone like that? Because I know well, people do say things like that. They do, but that's because of an ignorance of history. Because mm. if they would understand uh, how it worked, the father under Roman law had the power of life and death over all of his mm. children and his wife. He could kill, he could murder mm. any member of his family without being called murder. Even his married daughter, for as long as he lived, she was. he had the power to execute or kill his daughter, well. his son of any age, and only the death mm. of the father released them from that. He had total power over them. So there was no such thing as uh, that Christianity brought oppression. It brought in protection because mm. the man was and now freedom. to protect. He was to serve. He was to uh, love his wife like Christ loved the church. Yeah. He was to be in every way a protector and a provider. And for this reason, you can see how People through the ages have fled to missions, to churches, uh, out of pagan uh, religions to find protection, abused wives. Uh, in the Reformation era, Geneva became the greatest area of sanctuary for abused women because they could flee to a place like Geneva under the Protestants, under mm. John Calvin, for example, because they knew that abused women could find protection from abusive husbands uh, mm. because of the teaching of the church. And so uh, the Reformation was the friend of women. So whenever Christians have been going back to the Bible and trying to be consistent to the Bible, women have felt more protected yeah. than they have been under anything else. And just consider today when, in the name of women's liberation, what has actually happened? Many women are now uh, left holding the baby. Hmm. They have no real protection. They've got to work full hours and they've got to come Take home care and, of children, and yeah. care of the children and put the children to daycare and pay for that too and all the rest of it. And it's, it's in the name of liberating women, a lot mm. of it is women are more abused, more at risk, mm. less respected today than they were uh, when Christianity was the dominant worldview and when society was far more consistent with mm. uh, Christian teachings and most people were church going and so on. So there's no doubt that women have been more respected, protected with a higher status uh, and were safer uh, under the Christian worldview than they have been under pagan worldviews or secular humanism. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very true. So I think people who say that are misrepresenting what the scriptures actually teach. The scriptures clearly teach that it doesn't say husbands control your wives and get them to obey you. <laughs> it says husbands love your wives. So if people are rightly submitting to the word of God, they're actually, women are going to feel more protection. They actually want, I think women actually want a man to have a strong leadership role where they're there's a sense of safety and security, provision, someone who's guiding and leading the family rather than just the woman, the man sits back and he's kind of a wimp and the woman calls all the shots. There's no true protection there. And if you are faithful church members in accountability to a local Christian structure, you're not only receiving good regular teaching and input, hmm. but if there is a failing or a falling away, then there's uh, safeguards, there's intervention, there's counseling, there's study groups, there's home Bible study cells, and there's the diaconal ministry of church. So there's a lot more checks and balances and protection hmm. and areas that a woman can appeal to where there's abuse if there is a committed accountability to a local hmm. uh, Bible-believing church. Yeah, absolutely. So we could <clears throat> we could talk more about how Christianity has brought uh, protection from children and pedophilia, but uh, maybe... 
just uh, talking a little bit about the pagan practices of perversion and just what the scriptures Oof. have to say about this yes. subject. Well, uh, just to start um, looking at some books like The Spirit and the Flesh by Walter Williams, he focused on, uh, sympathetically though, <laughs> he's not condemning it, that um, mm-hmm. uh, in fact uh, all of the different Indian tribes, uh, the Crows and the Sioux and the Navajo and so on uh, throughout America, were all practicing transsexualism, multiple, uh, you know, transgenderism, really, and Mm. homosexuality was normal and part of the religious ceremonies and publicly performed with shamans. And and yet the Bible gives such clear teaching that many people don't realize, and you just have to speak to Indian Christians who've been converted from that background who will tell you what it was like. Here we're talking about the American Indians. Yeah. uh, That do not lie with a man as one lies with a Mm. woman. Uh, Leviticus 18.22, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. And do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6. And so, mm. and Romans 1 gives a long expose of, of the evils, which has a lot of sexual permissiveness and perversion condemned along with idolatry uh, and hmm. uh, that uh, uh, plainly the scripture taught against all forms of immorality all yeah, thoughts not exactly. just external but internal in the thought and hmm. mind and heart too and that revolutionized civilization for the good hmm. yeah and it's not uh, people often think christianity or the bible's singling out homosexuality but it's not it's against all sexual sin i mean just yes. in, uh boyfriend sleeping with his girlfriend that's that's condemned in Forn- the scriptures. fornication fornication right, yeah yes. it's all there so it's not it's not a singling out of a certain sexual no. sin it's actually an elevation of all of us are sinful we all have broken the commands of god and have strayed from god and we need a sacrifice christ's sacrifice who will forgive us for our sins yes. so what is some of some of the biblical ethics when we think about uh we've talked about some of the scriptures some of the problem but Sort of what, what are the ethics involved in this? Um, yes, what's really important here is the teaching that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And this massively led Christians to condemn and in time, when they had enough numbers, to outlaw adultery, pedophilia, bestiality, pornography, and all forms of decadence, which had been prevalent and accepted mm. uh, in pre-Christian cultures. So, uh, the whole teaching of 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 3, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and therefore it cannot be uh, used for sexual immorality. Hmm. And uh, St. Augustine uh, in his City of God observed that the Romans despised the Christians because of their opposition to their sexual depravities. Hmm. And uh, Tertullian also noted the Romans were incensed with the Christians because they opposed their orgies and their immorality. So, hmm. uh, just like today, a lot of people are not against Christianity necessarily because of the doctrines, but because mm. of the implications for their sexual mores. Hmm. And it reminds me of John the Baptist when he speaks to Herod about taking his sister's wife. There's this kind of prophetic voice that Christians are meant to have in the culture. You speak out against the sexual depravity of the age. Um, <clears throat> so how, how were women viewed in ancient Greece? Well, uh, just And in the ancient Roman world, Just to take, for example, uh, the laws. A respectable Greek woman was not permitted to leave the house unless accompanied by a male escort. And when mm. guests were present in the home, 
the wife was not permitted to eat at the same table or interact with the guest. And by the way, I've found societies that we visited where that's still being practiced hmm. today. Just and scary. the wife was to be unseen, confined to quarters. And they basically had the social status of a slave. In fact, wow. while a husband could divorce his wife at any time, the wife in Greece could not divorce her husband. And girls didn't go to school at all. So boys would learn how to mm. uh, read and write maybe, but not the girls. Uh, that's under ancient yeah. Greece before the gospel came there. Mm. And uh, you hear people that we would normally quote positively like, Sophocles said, silence is an adornment to women. Hmm. And Euripides said, silence and discretion are the most beautiful in women. Hmm. And remaining quietly within the house. And Aristotle said, silence gives grace to women. And Homer <laughs> said, speech should only be for the men. And wow. I mean, these are outrageous things. But I don't hear people getting upset at how these famous Greek philosophers spoke of women. But when they read that the Apostle Paul says that, women should keep silent in church. They suddenly get hysterical mm. about that. Mm. But that was the only environment in which the women were asked to keep silent was in mm. the church. And the context is very much in terms of, of listening quietly and receiving the teaching. Mm. And one shouldn't be disruptive. And plainly, you look at the Greek civilization, there was an extremely low status given to women. Uh, mm. Homer wrote, you cannot trust a woman. Um, Aristophanes said, for women are shameless the vilest of creatures. Uh, so uh, just terrible things. Uh, Euripides mm. wrote, women are a curse to man, which is oh. nowhere in the Bible you read such hostile, anti-woman, misogynist ideas as this. So this is what ancient Greece was like. And ancient Rome wasn't much better. Um, yeah. Women had none of the privileges and rights that men enjoyed. Uh, they were not allowed to be present when the husband had guests at a meal. And a married woman was under the Roman law of Manus, which placed under absolute control of her husband. He could not only divorce her, he could sell her into slavery or kill her at will. Wow. A man had total power. And this is Roman law, which mm. many people uh, think is so great. Hmm. Um, and uh, uh, just think of some of the bizarre rules that they had, had in, in Rome at the time, which, for example, under Patria Protestus, women were prohibited from speaking in public. Hmm. And women had no... Uh, permission to speak in court. And uh, you, under Patrofamilus, a man had supreme, absolute power over his children, even his married daughter he could execute if wow. she uh, in any way offended him. Hmm. And so uh, when you consider what was going on in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, which were the most civilized, we haven't even gone to Aztecs, hmm. the Incas and, and Mayans and so on, but the Bible teachings came in revolutionary, transformatory. Mm. And there were people who said, and I've even heard it, your God must be a woman. He had never written such lovely things about <laughs> women in the Bible. Uh, because, uh, And that's how I've heard some people in Hindu cultures mm. and so on speak, because they're amazed at how positive to a woman uh, the Bible is. Mm. Yeah, and so when Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus, it's not a, a saying that there's not men and f male and female, it's saying that we all have equal dignity and status in Christ's eyes. And you see in the ministry of Christ how favorable he was towards women. Mary and Martha, uh, he spoke with a Samaritan woman, yet although in that day and age, in that culture, it was like taboo for a man to speak with a woman like this. If, if he wasn't related, yes. Yeah, and so you see just in the example of Christ in the scriptures, it's clear that there's really a lifting and elevating of the dignity of women. So maybe let's uh, talk, there's a lot more we can talk about, but maybe let's just uh, give some examples of historically, what have Christians done through the ages to really bring mm. true liberation to women? 
Well, yes, there's no doubt that our Lord Jesus gave women a previously unknown respect and status. He broke with the anti-female culture of his era. He set a very high standard for his followers to emulate, and he raised women to new heights. Uh, you just uh, can see how the New Testament records the women who followed Christ, and the first two witness Christ raised from dead were the woman disciples, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of J James, and uh, uh, Jesus gives them the instruction to proclaim the resurrection. The first people proclaim the resurrection, go tell my brothers uh, that I've risen from dead. So women were last at the cross, first at the tomb, hmm. first to proclaim the resurrection, first to witness to the Jews, attended the first prayer meeting, Pentecost prayer meeting, mm. the first to welcome Christian missionaries to Europe, and the very first convert in Europe was a woman, Lydia. Mm. And we read of women being prominent in evangelism and ministry, and Elizabeth and Mary and Mary of Bethany and the Samaritan wow. evangelist Dorcas, Lydia, and so many others. And you'll read about Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sennacherib, a great help to many people, including me, Romans 16. So uh, Priscilla is mentioned uh, by Paul as one of his co-workers, and many others. So, uh, from the beginning, Christianity revolutionized marriage by seeing the wife as a partner, commanding husbands to love and protect their wives, as Christ loves the church, and uh, lifting the veil, because women at the time of Christ were all veiled. The Syrians, mm. Babylonians, Chinese, Egyptians, Greeks, Hebrews, Romans, Samaritans, all required women to wear a veil when they went outside. In this sense, Old Hollywood films are quite inaccurate, but I'm sure no actress like hmm. Elizabeth Taylor wanted to walk around wearing a veil the whole time. Um, but that would have been more accurate historically. And so Christianity lifted that. And foot binding hmm. uh, was common in China. And uh, missionaries uh, to China led the charge against foot binding. And uh, all kinds of barbaric rituals like female circumcision and so on were hmm. opposed by the missionaries. And most famously... William Carey led the charge in India against yes. widow burning. When wow. a wife, as a husband died, her usefulness was considered over. And as a good wife, she's expected to die being burned alive on the funeral pyre of her husband. Mm. And uh, it was w William Carey and other missionaries who, who successfully campaigned for the ending of widow burning. So even today, it's known as Carey's Edict, the legal ban on sati. And it wasn't just India. Uh, yeah. Before Christianity, widows were burned by American Indian tribes, by the Maori in New Zealand, by the Chinese. It was common or buried in some cases. Mm -hmm. And Christianity, well, always, because Jesus had compassion on widows, um, yeah. this teaching flowed out into the mission field, of course. Mm -hmm. So what can what are some resources for those who are interested in learning a bit more about this? Uh, where can they go online to just find out a bit more about uh, the Christian liberation. Yes, of we've women. just touched on a few high points. There's a lot more written, and we've actually got an article and a leaflet uh, called "The Christian Liberation of Women," and you can also see a video and an audio of it that'll be up on the Christian Action uh, uh, website, ChristianAction.org.za, or on the Frontline Mission Essay.org. You'll find both audio and video, and a free leaflet you can download Christian Liberation of Women to print out, distribute at your church, or send electronically to others. So visit christianaction.org.za uh, or uh, frontlinemissionessay.org. Either of those sites you'll find audio, video, and PowerPoint. We've got some great leaflets and uh, good books uh, on it. And of course, National Women's Day is coming up. Where yes, of course. The 
because it's on a Sunday, of course you could preach on Christian liberation of women on Sunday or share this in your Bible study group but or social media. But also consider that on uh, Monday, the 10th of August, will be a public holiday. For every Women's Day, uh, for the last 25 years, Africa Christian Action has been in the shopping malls distributing uh, pro-woman materials, anti-human trafficking, fight the new drug, and other issues uh, dealing with women at risk and issues to promote the Christian liberation of women today. Mm. So uh, we are looking for more malls that would invite us. We've sometimes been up to 100 volunteers at five to seven malls at a time. This year with lockdown, we've had a lot less. We've only got one mall right now open for us. If you know of any mall that would be willing to give an invitation for us to put out a contact table, make a stand against human trafficking, uh, contact us, info at christianaction.org.za. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We hope this was beneficial and edifying to you. We just pray that uh, you this week would go out and be a part of what Christ did of uh, bringing more dignity to women in our culture and society today. Good night and God bless.